Economic Update with Professor Richard Wolf. We'll be back next week at this time. It's regular time slot on KPFK. Up next is a special installment of On Resistance Radio. Beginning next week, On Resistance Radio will be launching a special series that will play at 1.30 p.m. on Sundays. But this week, we have an hour installment of On Resistance Radio. You can hear this week's economic update with Professor Richard Wolf at Professor Wolf's website, which is rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. And of course, Professor Wolf's economic update will be back next week, Sunday at 9 a.m. And now, on Resistance Radio. All these people on the planet working nine to five just to stay alive, the 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 nine to five just to stay alive. Hello, welcome. Thanks for listening to On Resistance Radio. We are a horizontal collective. We've been working together to have some discussions on the air here at KPFK, and we are really excited to be announcing that we'll be working on a five-week series. The five-week series is themed a little bit around the war on the poor. This topic is work, poverty, and criminalization. The next topic is going to be on health, food, and the environment, as well as a discussion on March Against Monsanto. And the third show is going to be on housing, education, and gentrification. The fourth show is Militarization, Domestic and Abroad Under Fascism. And the last show that we're going to be having is going to be on Social War and Hierarchy, as well as Resistance. So thanks for tuning in and as we begin this kind of five-week-centered discussion with the discussion on work. Who wants to go first? Hello, my name is Bobby London. Yeah, work. Work is interesting. I've been trying to define it lately. And... I feel like there's different, for me it's easier to define it as different ways of work. Work for pay, which is like work to try to survive in this capitalist system. And then the work that I do, that's just like fun, that's pleasure, that's for myself, that I don't get paid for. So the work that's capitalism that I do as necessity to pay for rent and for food is really oppressive. When I think about it, I kind of wrote down some like adjectives or like emotions that come up for me. And it was stress. I feel like I'm wasting my time. I feel uncomfortable. I feel scared that I'm gonna get in trouble by some boss. I feel nervous, I feel unhappy, I feel bored. But when I do work for play, for fun, for me, I feel excited, I feel confident, I feel like I'm achieving something, I feel happy, I feel stimulated, I feel positive things from it. So that's what came up for me regarding work. Hello, this is X. I would say I have a lot of the same feelings as you do. For work, I feel like I'm not really qualified for a lot of things. Mm. It's either like overqualified or underqualified and then like trying to define, you know, what I do other work I that I would call like liberatory work where like I'm trying to doing things that are basically to either build community or build some sort of resistance against work. I'm not really interested in preserving the kind of work as a as a motive you know, I'm a person before I'm a worker. I'm wanting to try to, like, in a sense, abolish, you know, the fact that we have to opt into the system of, of having to work to survive and really, like, liberate, you know, the resources that are needed to survive. But that just takes a mass kind of, like, opting out or, like, opposition against these concepts that are kind of controlling everything we do. Hey, everyone. Ryan here. 
work for me it's it's been interesting i've had a lot of different experiences through temping and through kind of parent encouraged you know work where we'd i'd learn the american way of pulling myself up by the bootstraps and stuff so i've done like landscaping (laughs) and i've worked at a a coffee shop i've done done temping which bobby and i were talking about just a little while before i would say the last couple years i've started redefining work in terms of what kind of effect my actions would have right because we are what we do kind of thing. And I've been struggling with the whole idea of the nonprofit mm-hmm. industrial complex as work, right? Because I, I did canvassing and trying to figure out how to make my work do some good is really something I've been trying to wrap my head around. Currently, I'm unemployed, so I'm not getting any kind of paid work. But I, I consider a lot of the things I do work, right? Which is part of how we're, we're going to be trying to like break down and redefine what we mean when we say work and these ideas of salary versus wages and all these kind of class ideas. But work is something that generally I feel like most people don't like. Most people hate their bosses and most people are justified in those two things. So I'm definitely excited to to talk about this today. I'm excited as well to talk about work. I think that it's important to try to not I or to encourage people not to have to identify with the work that we're forced to do under capitalism. Because a lot of the narrative of work is that we need more work. We need to compete more for work. And a lot of the work that we're doing is indirectly not in our own benefit. We're not working directly to create the food that we need to survive. You know, we're dependent on outside structures that cause people to work in ways counter to their interests to meet our needs. So. When I think about work, I think about mostly like how my time is stolen from me and and how work has been created as this entire structure that I feel completely alienated from. And so I just want to thank everyone. I want to thank everyone for sharing their personal experiences and responses to work. We're going to get into discussing the structure of work and how oftentimes in the structure of work as it's like separated away from us there's lots of hierarchies and microaggressions that we experience that end up reproducing things like sexism, sexism, ableism, racism and then the very structure itself is is a hierarchy that creates a class divide and depends on poverty. We're going to start with discussing the structuring of work in terms of how people participate also in relation to how people advocate for themselves and how they structure themselves in terms of unions and the workplace itself and how oftentimes the structures that we use to try to change our conditions end up reflecting the conditions that we have. Is anybody on stack? Yeek. (laughs) Yeah. Hierarchy in the workplace. It's interesting because my experience with work has always been whether consciously or not consciously trying to like work against those hierarchies in the workplace, just of the nature of who I am. And I feel like a lot of people do that and maybe not notice it or acknowledge it or see it as them actively working against hierarchies within the workplace. I think that in most workplaces, like I, I have most of my past experience in the legal field. And you have the hierarchy of the partners of the law firm, the managing attorneys, the attorneys, and the secretaries. The secretaries who do the most work, obviously, are treated the least. And so it's through every little day of just having to deal with so many different levels of oppression. Like, have you ever seen... um, Office space? Yeah, office space. And the guy's sitting there, 
And he gets that memo that he messed up, but he gets it from like five different people. And mm-hmm. he's saying, there, he's like, I already read the memo. And it's like, how many people have experienced that? You know, how many people mm-hmm. have experienced yeah. just kind of, and like, what does that do to your psyche to repeatedly be told that you did something wrong by different levels of administrators in your workplace? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, mental health is a whole topic that we can talk about when you're talking about meaningless work, right? Which is what most of us are doing under this whole kind of consumer service industry, which is what the United States is doing, having outsourced everything. Everything that's built is getting outsourced to cheaper places. So what is left is kind of a very Fight Club-esque situation where our jobs are meaningless. They feel meaningless, and they are. You know, I don't know. It's looking for for meaning in... What about the police? The police protect and serve, so their jobs aren't meaningless. Oh, come on. You're playing playing devil's advocate on this show all of a sudden out of nowhere, Bobby? No, it's not devil's advocate. It's sarcasm. (laughs) I would say that it's really like individualized benefits. I mean, I I have nothing against, you know, union or, well, I kind of do have a a thing against union organizing in that working towards getting particular benefits for certain workers. And yes, though, like we're we're not really having a discussion about benefits for all of the people. It's only in these small sectors of like of work and there are evil corporations that still exist and like we want to yes better the workforce and the environment and the atmosphere of the workers of the terrible corporations but we also don't want these corporations to continue to do what they're doing it really keeps on acknowledging power and acknowledging the fact that as their category of workers they continue to be oppressed instead of like abolishing the entire system. I think it's problematic how we're taught there's only one way to work with each other and it's with a boss and a, and a, and a management structure. Um, and when we talk about work reform and changing the workplace, oftentimes we're not challenging the power dynamics of the workplace. The workers, when they come together, when we come together, we don't just want to have more wages because there's still inflation, right? There's still things that cost money that we have to buy. So why aren't we talking about the workers who do most of the work in a space determining what is created out of that space? And if we came together as people, we could discuss, like, where should our effort go? Like, what does our community need? And we can actually spontaneously or deliberately in very organized fashion, like, self-organize what we think we need and how much effort it takes and do it. But for some reason we're taught that we have to have this hierarchical structure where we're working for other people's benefit and not for ourselves. That's been kind of my real uh, hesitation to be ecstatic about this fight for 15, right? I mean, it's it's centered around work. I think we need to, I wanted to bring it up on this topic just because it felt like, how could we not? But, you know, the SEIU, which is a very entrenched institutionalized union that is a lapdog for the Democrats, which... We Word. hate, right? Um, and they're not helping their workers. They have this fight for 15 where it becomes this idea of like material benefits helping the poor people. Those are necessary. But they're not even asking for what, what the minimum wage should be if it kept pace with inflation, which is like 22 and change, 21 and change. But even still, even if they got that, how are we changing the conditions of the workplace, just getting enough crumbs and scraps. Like, rich people can afford that. They're making it a protracted red and blue fight for the theatrics uh, theatrics of it all, right? So given all that, how do we go above and beyond it and talk about, like, what does work actually look like or a worker-led revolt of McDonald's? I mean, I'd like to talk about that. I think it starts on a much smaller basis. 
of like reimagining what work is in terms of helping someone out in the neighborhood, right, in your off hours, and also reimagining what, what work is in an activist sense of not having weekend rallies. Right. Next on stack is Bobby. Yeah, whenever I think of strikes and whatnot, and I think of like what would it take for people to feel comfortable striking, I think a lot of it is also building a foundation of community self-reliance, you know, so that people have alternatives to the capitalist system. People aren't worried about like how they're going to survive if they don't go to work because, you know, they still need to pay like their rent, they still need to eat. So if you're also at the same time working on building a, a autonomous communities, then I think that helps add security for people to feel more empowered and comfortable to do things that would risk their job. Throughout the show, we're actually keeping a stack, which means that as we're trying to have a horizontal dialogue, when people want to participate, they put up their fingers and we kind of rotate sharing the space for discussion. So next on stack is X. Hi, to go back on the rhyme, what you were talking about nonprofit sector work, when the nonprofit sector kind of like came about it really was opening the door for neoliberalism in this country where like people had to maintain their nonprofit status and like lose sight of the mission of this organization that wanted to create actual social change. For me, when it comes to working anywhere at a nonprofit, I'm like really, I'm at a loss. Well, I could be getting paid to do activist work or paid to do community work or paid to do the work that I do, but I don't want to. I don't want it to become like a hobby. I don't want to like define it the same way that capitalism or the workforce defines my labor that I'm putting into these these collective efforts that I'm part of. With working, it's hard to for me, yeah, hard to opt into to work because like you have the same institutions that have always been, you know, we have these unions that are pouring all of their funding into the Democratic Party. You have these ways that are really funding these rigged elections. And I don't know how we can really dismantle this kind of lulling and dulling and like this kind of desperation that people have in their minds in order to survive. Because that's all it is. Like you, you hear from the beginning of your life that if you work hard enough, in this country at least, that's all you get. You can make something of yourself. And it's just hard having these discussions with family members or people that you know who are deeply, deeply entrenched in work. And just wanting to have a conversation about why why people create an entire identity around like their career or their job when like they could be doing so much more more other things that could define, you know, what they are. It doesn't only have to be what they do. It's not who only who you are. And when we talk about redefining labor, it's interesting because we're not discussing our work and our efforts and sharing our efforts in a way that would meet our community's needs. Um, We have, there's like an intermediary where we have to go to work for a capitalist to get money to then exchange money to meet our needs. And so like this is the, this is what happens when we live under a capitalist system is that we come to value our effort only in so much as how much it values the dominant society. It doesn't actually value us, like which is why for some reason childcare work and you know mothers and like the job quote unquote of nurturing hasn't and, and building community and like raising and rising ourselves, you know, hasn't been valued. And then what Bobby was saying earlier about 
how would we define work ourselves, building those alternatives, I feel like we have to find a way to walk capitalism and withdraw our dependence from it slowly so that we can actually tangibly build those alternative spaces of work for ourselves, defined voluntarily by ourselves. We can't just we can't try to reform capitalism and the the strategies used to seize the workplace like the unions, you know, aren't actually working in the interest of the workers in the long term. Next on stack is Bobby and then X. Kind of touching on what you were talking about, J-Ray, in regards to, like, work that benefits the community. And then most times, poor communities and communities of brown and black people are forced to work in jobs that actually work against their community because that's the only place they can find employment. Like you'll see most security guards, uh, private police or brown or black individuals. And you can take uh, USC as for an example. They have their private security. And a lot of that are like community members who live there and they're working to police their community. And they're doing so because that's the only jobs that are available out there for them and they need jobs to be able to exist. And so that is one of the things about like capitalism and our the American work system is that it forces you to work against your own interests. I just wanted to bring up the fact that when it comes to, it's almost like the focal point isn't really inclusive to people who are kind of, are kind of like left out of this kind of work sphere. Talk about people with disabilities who can't, can't perform. These, these conversations arise all the time where like people are like, well, you know, what about you have like a community garden or like if we were living in non-capitalist society and like we're all working and you know would people just like not work and it's if they can't then like yeah people wouldn't work because they they literally can't opt into you know doing the exact same things that you can do to survive so disclude you know I feel like there's a lot of it's kind of discluding people with disabilities people whose sexualities and gender expressions are are often criminalized and they can't opt into the same the same uh, job opportunities or give be given the same job opportunities that cisgendered or you know hetero people can because so much so much law in like the south or like even today is has been created to kind of manage uh how people express themselves and often when when people express themselves you have like queer trans poc non-white youth who are who are being kicked out of their homes already because of how different they are because they are labeled deviants by society by their own family and then they're like coerced and like compelled to have to participate in other means of willing, wanting to needing to survive and that is in itself is criminalized so then like they have to they are kind of like opted into you know the prison industrial complex because of that and with an entire structure of work there's those who are deprived of work so kind of what that brings up for me is there is people who are excluded from being able to compete in the capitalist workplace. There's an entire yep. impoverished com- population that are often brown and black, and that falls along racism and perpetuates sexism and ableism. So how does work depend upon poverty, and how does that contribute to, like X said, our prison population, our rising prison population? We also don't have to go with that question. <laughs> 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 like, shit. Uh. 
I would say the same way that capitalism depends on like poverty because you need cheap workforce, you know, and when you criminalize being black or brown and then when you also make it part of the requirement to be able to get a job is that you have to do a background check and you have to say whether or not you've been arrested and you're living in a system which predominantly goes to arrest certain individuals it makes it easier for you to discriminate those individuals from different levels of like hierarchy or like higher levels of employment. Right now, I just got an email from my employer saying that like, oh, I should fill out something to do a background yeah, check. You have no right as an individual to really like say no, because if you say no, you're already admitting like guilt. So yeah. suspicion. Yeah. And then it's also just the kind of work that is criminalized, like the vendors and people who work in street gangs, people who sell drugs, like that's criminalized, sex work is criminalized, and those are usually jobs that people who are oppressed have to do because this is a white supremacy system, and those jobs that don't, you know, allow for that are usually given to white people. Yeah, you bring up some interesting points, Bobby. uh, Writing about, got picked up from a jaywalking ticket and a bench warrant last, last year sometime, I'm writing about it, and I'm just realizing that every experience I've had when I've been in jail has been with people that are driving unpermitted taxis or operating, like, playing drums, right, without a permit, uh, trying to panhandle some some money. They're unemployed for some reason. It's like the you are criminalized the, the less you conform and assimilate to capitalist work structures. And for me, that word assimilate is is pretty important because, like, work – especially in this country with such an interesting kind of Protestant work ethic. Um, I know I was brought up under that, that like very white Protestant idea that, you know, hard work will get you places. So battling that in in terms of being anti-capitalist and anti-assimilationist for someone that's in my late 20s, you know, which has high rates of depression, I think in large part because people are realizing, myself included, right? There's like a great sadness that happens when you realize that you have to assimilate into this insane machine right and somehow be you know facilitate your own oppression whether you're a prison guard or you're selling gmo food at at a grocery store right so for me it's i'm really torn on the issue of how to make my labor valuable so i don't know however whenever i pipe in in this conversation it could just be to lament that that just um figuring out where my work is valuable i don't know it's a it's a question and i feel as we explore alternatives to this work structure, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time and it's exhausting. And anything, you know, we're trying to share food, you, you're trying to find space to explore these alternative work ethics. for Because the biggest accusation when you talk about refusing to work under capitalism and, and trying to build alternative structures or some people I know will we'll try to rotate how much we work and kind of collectivize our resources. That sounds lazy. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was going for, is that people ultimately are like, oh, you're just an idealist. The only way we can change capitalism is by embracing being the working class and trying to get power <laughs> for ourselves as the working class. And forgetting that trying to refuse this structure of work is a lot of work. And if we were not relying on how industry has kind of created a destructive industrialization process on the planet, then we would have to be really more involved in our food, in local growing, in local community support and structures and networks. How do we find our own water in a food desert, in a drought? 
Like these things would take a lot of work, but we don't value that narrative. Um, for some reason, we're always trying to find power under the work narrative that we've been given. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also feel like alternatives aren't really enough to, you know, combat. There has to be some sort of like opposition to the workforce, opposition to how the way you know we are, we are having to to survive and we have comrades who are squatting squatting for instance i i see squatting in like some of, some of these more suburban kind of areas in the northern part of the united states as admirable uh tactic in order for people to survive and not have to work and like do activist work but i would hope that there is some sort of talking about gentrification within when where they're squatting and i would hope that they were talking about um questioning property the idea the very idea and challenging that and like rendering you know the legitimacy of of this property and owning pieces of land rendering that kind of like concept irrelevant because we are on stolen you know land or at least have been given a concept of of what ownership is so now people are trying to like whatever reclaim what they used to have which like i feel like yeah indigenous people are entitled to this land because they were here before there was an actual community there was actual real structure before um everything was colonized but i feel nowadays everyone is born into you know these kind of like structures of work and these systems of oppression and people there's it's just this multifaceted way of being drenched in like consumer culture this kind of grasp for power that's so it's very dystopic i would say that tv and like billboard it, everything is telling you to buy 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 and it's not really telling you how in what way you have to buy these things these people want these things cuz it grants them like some sort of status you know some sort of like they're in people are in awe of like material possessions but in order to get those things like what are you going to do are you going to you know be a tycoon like some corporate tycoon some mogul or are you going to you know resort to crime to get those things and it's like either way either way this kind of consumerism is a uh, kind of the driving point i remember when i was in high school i was like asked uh, or told by a teacher you know you have to have these ambitions you have to want a car pick your favorite car what kind of car do you want and i was like i don't want a car like what's what's the point and they were like well you have to have something in your head that you want to grasp in order to achieve and like do be successful yeah we really need to redefine what success is, measurements of work is, as well as how much labor is put into the things that we need to preserve our our livelihoods and like how how we can create sustainable communities without state intervention, without, you know, the the police are scared of being rendered irrelevant and it's never going to happen because like there's there's so many people that rely on this organized authority to to make a living so they're just going to continue and continue to completely criminalize poverty criminalize certain races like blackness queerness it's just a never-ending cycle unless you know a lot of people oppose it next on stack is bobby yeah, I also wanted to bring up college as a way of forcing you into work because a lot of times, mm. you know, the student debt, I think right now is at $1, uh, $1 trillion. And, you know, I, they're never going to get that money back, <laughs> you know. And it's really interesting when you think about it. Like, I look I look at school and, like, getting your degree as kind of a scam. As like, I feel like I got hustled. 
And like I was fed this thing that told me like go to school, you'll graduate and you'll get a good paying job, you know. And for people who even who want that, right, who want to try to like make their way up the like ladder, they're going and they're going to graduate school and they're getting their law degrees and they're having to go force them to do fields of work that they don't want to do. So people who intentionally first went to school to try to like learn or because, you know, you're forced to because of pressure of society and your parents are basically being forced into debt. And now they're starting to garnish people wages. I mean, they've been doing it, but I, I think they're being more active about doing it. And, you know, they're garnishing people wages for student loans. So people are getting 25%, sometimes like all of their wages garnished. Like they're, they're working to just pay off their debt for a degree, a piece of paper that doesn't even mean anything anymore. Yeah, and I think that the entire system of crime is actually as much as these politicians and these like government officials and these neighborhood councils and well-to-do meaning liberals who actually support state violence, um, when they talk about reducing crime, they actually, their interests wouldn't be served by reducing crime. They need to have a fear-mongered other that is deprived of resources that is going to come take your resources. Like, they need to divide and conquer resources that way in order so that they can be elected, so that they can have power to facilitate our power relations. That's what politics is, in my opinion. These private industries and the state, the government, and the, the state of social relations, it isn't interested in ending poverty or in allocating space so that we can actually, if we had space, we could figure out ways to take care of our own communities. But that's why they criminalize space. That's why they're raiding home foreclosure defenses. That's why they're raiding houseless encampments, you know, for gentrification, for development. And I think it's really important, like X said, that we don't just focus on alternatives and what we can create with each other, but also counteracting and challenging um, the, the amount of power and force that has been accumulated in the name of capital. So how do we create direct, direct challenges to that is something that I'd be interested in. All right, everyone, we are going to be continuing our segment online. You can find it on Podomatic, on resistanceradio.podomatic.com or on SoundCloud. We have our information and our broadcast kind of divided between those two, soundcloud.com slash on dash resistance. For the rest of the show, today's show is actually part one, and you can find part two on the internet. And you can um, keep in contact with us by following us on Twitter at um, onresistancela and our Tumblr at onresistanceradio.tumblr.com. We also have a Facebook, On Resistance, uh, uh, Instagram, On Resistance LA. I think you get the trend. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, keep in touch. Yeah, if you have internet, check us out on the internet. Um, and feel free to message us on Facebook, Tumblr, or directly through our Gmail, which is onresistanceradio at gmail.com. J-Ray, you brought up an interesting point about, you know, not interesting point, the point, right? <laughs> how to combat it, how to combat these forces. Um, and I know, you know, in our prep discussions around this topic, we talked a lot about microaggressions. And one of the comrades that's in the collective but isn't here today, he and I were, were talking about if you could choose what type of field to get into, right? Like, what do you choose that's best? What do you choose that has the least amount of impact? And, you know, we were discussing whether it would be canvassing for some kind of issue or working in the service industry, something kind of apolitical, what have you. He brought up a really good point, though. Like, it doesn't necessarily matter what you're doing. I mean, to a degree, right? If you're a cop, 
or if, if you're someone that's oppressing people, then you are guilty of that and you should quit your job for sure. If you're just a kind of an innocuous cog, then fi- fighting these microaggressions, fighting like sexism that's happening in your face, fighting racism and classism, I think those are elements that we can like tell out that whoever's listening, I think that's a good idea, right? Like it may make you more fireable, right? But you may also accidentally start organizing resistance where you work, which I think is really important. Next on stack is X. I I just want to kind of bring up what Bobby was uh, referring to when people were talking about opting into school in order to survive. And I do believe that a lot of people now these days are hip to the hustle. And in terms of they know that all of their previous friends before are graduating. There's like 800,000 students that are graduating into no job or, or just particular jobs that everybody's kind of like scrambling to like really get to. So when I think of like, oppositional alternatives i think about people who are organizing just as like some sort of idea assemblies per block like if you were to organize an assembly a neighborhood assembly on one block and then like have that communicate with another block who's having an organized assembly and really working on creating like maybe liberating some piece of land or a house that isn't being used or creating rooftop farms making sure you're fed that way whenever the police come in to to try to scrutinize or try to destroy the work that you're doing have people really just not let them which is it's something that's easier said than done you know but there are people that are organizing to like in Philadelphia for instance for a certain period of time in neighborhoods the police brutality was so bad that people whenever the cops would come to a neighborhood every single person would come out of their house to watch them that is oppositional alternative to the police brutality and the violence that people are facing daily. It's also work. Yeah, that is like (laughs) something that people do in order to sustain themselves. People are making sure that the police aren't coming in and like exploiting the people that they live around. You know, they, they are the outside agitators that are coming in to literally put a lot of community members into this prison industrial complex. Next on stack is Bobby. Just kind of going off what X said was that I like the idea of assemblies also on affinity. I know in Argentina they had assemblies for like the unemployed. You can have anti-capitalist assemblies because I feel like LA is an interesting area. I think America too, where community based on like geographically where you live is kind of like, I don't know, for some people, at least for me, I feel non-existent. So it would be easier for me to see participating in assemblies based off of affinity. Going what um, Ryan was talking about, not necessarily like what kind of work you do as long as not oppression, but like what you do while you're at that work. And it kind of just reminded me what I've kind of found myself doing is I'm currently like temping. And so since I don't want to stay at any of these jobs, I'm not trying to like win a role or win a job or anything like that. I've kind of taken it upon myself to not care and like be really critical to like the bosses and try to like, you know, when I see things that, that I feel like are unfair, like when I, like one time, like I asked if I could put my headphones on and you know it was the kind of work where you can have headphones on no one else had their headphones on and you know I didn't I wasn't scared of the boss because there was no sort of like power he could have over me because like I had this like it was only a temporary uh, situation that I was seeking but once I started wearing my headphones I noticed that like other workers started wearing like their headphones and stuff and just like kind of like calling out the fact that like they're they weren't giving breaks to people, like they weren't allowing people to take breaks. So then, you know, me and others started taking our breaks and other people started feeling more empowered to take breaks. And so it's kind of organized where you work as well. And, you know, you don't have to be an official union to try to, you know, to do unionized things. There's things like slowdowns. I think people do in their workplace all the time and they don't realize when you're upset with the boss and they just start working slower. And internships. 
just because we were talking about college and then you get forced to do internships and then you work for free. And Democrats are the worst about that. Democrats, if you, I'm sorry, but like if you do political science and then you want to work within the system and you want to do a Democrat, you're working for free. If you're a Republican, they pay you. Well, I mean, it's, inher- <laughs> it's inherently classist, too. I remember reading, I don't know if it was New York Times or something, but I read it years ago, where they, they broke down that most of these internships, the big trend is that they're unpaid, right? And they show that those affect, that's classist. If you, if you can afford to have an unpaid internship, then you are already at the cream of the crop that is privileged to be in that position. So it's just another way that the system is, its hierarchical nature is still, it's class-based, right? Around every corner. But Bobby, you, you had a good point <laughs> just telling your story. You know, you talked about job versus career mm-hmm. and how that dichotomy is interesting for me too because we're definitely pushed to want a career and there's class privileges and rewards and social rewards for that and it's stigmatized if you just have a job or if you're not career oriented, right? There's all sorts of social cues where we're somehow we're doing something wrong, right? If we're, we don't have a career in mind. But what you're talking about is arranging your living situation in a way so you don't have to have a career that you can afford to work and possibly risk speaking up, right? Because you're set up in a way that, you know what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. Like intersectional resistance, right? Yeah, I feel relative to that, I feel the, the hardest thing for me is how do I survive? How do I opt into the game of survival with it that is capitalism without exploiting you know, either other people or myself. And mm-hmm. it's like, you can't, like, you, you really can't, like, yeah. I, but I would rather choose to exploit myself than hordes of other people and, like, really, like, hoard that wealth to myself. And, like, I would rather exploit myself and just, like, you know, redistribute that in collective spaces. Um, and so many people are like, how am I, you know, I work for a nonprofit, like, mm-hmm. I, how am I exploiting people? And it's like, well, you have a job. And, like, often at times, I mean, privilege often relies on on oppression it relies on the fact that other people don't have these same benefits that's where privilege comes from Mm -hmm. and like in order to in order to dismantle that people really have to be willing to just completely forgo or give up or betray those benefits those privileges that you know because it's sustaining you know like yeah like we live in america and there are a lot of there are extremely there are people in in positions where where it's not you know as bad as like other other countries but our first world consumerism is like it's dependent on this exploitation of the other outsourced you know exploitation that is bringing in a lot of of resources out here to like you know help with our comforts it's like this is what we're this is what we're talking about <laughs> Yeah, I think that there's an entire narrative about success and work and assimilation and how we're supposed to value ourselves and our times and our lives. And it kind of, it's inherited. I mean, I inherited my belief system in trying to advance under capitalism because, in large part, because of my family and because of my community at the time, who was also coping with capitalism and trying to, you know, advance under capitalism to reach a point where they're comfortable and so there's this whole point is like if you get a good job right you you don't want just wages you want a salary you want um to go up the ranks you want to get a benefit package so that you can have some sort of stability but as you are getting those things you are pushing like you know at the the employment interview process is other people getting pushed aside for certain people to have that access to those benefits I mean, I definitely empathize with you about family, familial expectations and stuff. My uh, my father didn't go to college, but he kind of 
worked his way up in a corporate structure. So he really pushed college for us in order that we could climb that ladder easier than him, right? There's a weird social expectation, you know, that, that we have to conform and work. But again, I don't know. I've been trying to wrap my head around what work looks like outside of a capitalist model. And I know that involves a really localized effort. And I know that involves kind of breaking out of the mold of everyone kind of living in these suburb boxes. You know, I keep bringing up Fight Club, but I think (laughs) a lot of uh, his alter ego's comments on the state of the world. It's poignant because take capitalism out of a lot of these industries, right? Like the healthcare industry. We don't need all of those jobs. Those jobs are useless. The people there know it. If we had single payer medicine, no one would need a job there, right? Like a lot of the, the social issues we're facing, you, you'd get rid of this stupid drug war. You don't need a DEA, ATF, FBI, CIA. Those are all useless jobs. So when people know this inherently, that their job doesn't really do anything, but I'm just wondering what it looks like beyond useless work. Well, what would those people do? Well, there's this idea that we have to work for someone else to, like, have value. The amount of work that's created for people to do, I think, is meant to keep people separate and doing those things. Like, we don't need to be doing this much work for other people. Yeah, I think it's interesting to think what those people would do if they weren't becoming, like, DEA agents or CIA. Because they're growing up in a fascist system that teaches them that that's what they need to be, so they're actually trying to benefit the country. It's, like, uh, post-anti-capitalist, like, work society, like, what it would look like. You know, you would do the work that, like, your localized community needs. And then you would also do, like, the work you you do if you had the free time to be able to do it. Mm. You know, like, artists, I feel like, has, because we live in a capitalist system, is, like, a privileged thing to be able to be, you know? Mm. But I feel like, in reality, like, everyone's an artist, you yeah. know? But people aren't able, really, to, like, spend the time to tap into it and try to explore it because they're forced to work and you don't have the free time to be able to explore your creativity. That's a great point. I mean, schools have shut down that type of learning because it doesn't fit the capitalist model of what you'll be when you grow up to work, right? There's no money in it. So I think that's that's a great point about how it does affect everything like that. And because of capitalism, artists are hoarding that social capital of becoming artists and not really encouraging people to be creative, you know, mm. themselves. Like, they're just like, okay, I'm going to be this artist and I'm going to inspire other people to come and see my work and it's not really something where everybody can participate in and if it is something that most people can participate in they usually have to pay for it it's like pay to be like me pay to be as creative as like I can be but I'll never really let you know the like secrets of like how I do things it's not uh, knowledge that is like liberated the means of being able to survive really should be liberated all the means that are you know needed to survive should be liberated like housing or like space to sleep or food or knowledge these all should be liberated because the thing about property and like value and like commod- commodities is that it's really putting a price tag on how people are surviving it's really like coercing people to opt into working in order to survive or you know opting into crime in order to do that mm. Or, or criminalized behavior, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, what you were saying earlier made me think of labeling, <laughs> right? I mean, Bobby was saying it too, um, but you extrapolated about artists and kind of them taking that label that they've found within the workforce, right, quote unquote. And I think we're going to try and drop an info drop full of zines and information, but there's, a, there's an article that someone wrote. I think we'll get it up on our Tumblr, but it's called Give Up Activism. And it's, it's kind of like an anti-work horizontal idea about 
giving up these labels that put us inside the hierarchical structure of work, right? Um, activism should not be something that you assimilate into the work structure to do a nine-to-five thing. Activism, you should give up that label. You, you shouldn't consider yourself an expert in being active, right? You should. This should just be like a lifestyle culture of resisting and, and being active or whatever. So I guess I'm making that same kind of comparison with, with what you were saying about artists and stuff and just how we're, we're forced into labels and certain labels are celebrated and certain labels are criminalized. It's like bosses too. Yeah, yeah. And kind of along that lines about how if knowledge was shared, like resources were shared, then certain people wouldn't only be qualified to perform certain functions that create certain things that help our community. So sharing knowledge would actually make things more accessible because people would be able to do things for themselves. And I find that this actually is recreated in organizing culture and activist culture. Like you brought up the term activist when I learned about the activist organizer divide. <laughs> oh, and that how, big divide. <laughs> yeah, and, and <laughs> how these labels actually mean different things to people. And organizers, you know, by organizing and by having this certain specialized knowledge that isn't shared, people think that they're only certain people are entitled to speak to a room, um, you know, and then this idea of how we speak to a room, it's not in a shared horizontal way where everyone's voice is valued. It's where someone has more social capital or more experience or something is elevating them to some sort of special knowledge that excludes other people from participating. And this is how the political system works. Mm. You know, this is why the resistance isn't growing. You know, I mean, and, it, and you know, it may be growing. It probably, I hope it's growing. <laughs> um, you never said that. It's growing. <laughs> I never said that. It's definitely growing, um, LAPD. Um, but, but, you know, there's this exclusionary avenue of knowledge that keeps certain figureheads replicating hierarchical structures and organizing and it's a power base. Activism still has power infused in it. That's not a good thing. So is an organizer the boss of the activist? Or what's Ew, the... <laughs> There's just a distinguished... It might as well be. Like, yeah. It, yeah, it has the same power. It has that yeah. same relationship. No, Try doing something different than, like, what the organizers or activists had planned for their action and see if there's any bosses. Try to ask a question <laughs> about their intention. Or if you ask organizers whether they're working with the police and what their collaboration with the police has been like, which should be a fully transparent thing. Um, considering you're inviting people to your space and your event, they'll immediately shut down and say this is not the right way, the right way to raise a concern. Yeah, because they have that label, right? Like the the work structure has given them the authority, false or earned or whatever, to to say that to say what's effective, and their their permitted protest is. No. No. <laughs> no. There's the meaty critique of the left. <laughs> there it is. It's not even the beginning. <laughs> I mean, I've heard people say activists are the people who show up to yeah. an event. It's an event, right? It's not the resistance. Um, and then the organizers are the ones who put in the actual work. Work. Mm -hmm. Do we want people to quit their jobs? What are we looking to people to get out of this I don't want to tell people to quit their jobs. Yes. I, I mean, I don't either. People don't can't quit their jobs. I think yeah. people can't. Exactly. People That's can't the thing. quit their jobs. I don't think people, I mean, I feel like people should be building communities and societies to make it so people can quit their jobs. So, you know, we should be having, like... So you can work less. Yeah, yeah, so that, like, you need collective. You need some sort of networks where you can, like, try to help support each other. And there's, like, different methods you could do it. The rules are set, though. I read about this one guy that open-sourced his job. He worked for some corporation, and they fired him for it. 
Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, you don't necessarily have to, like, open source your job. I mean, it's why don't people quit their jobs? Because they need somewhere to live. They need food to eat. So if you create a way for people to still have housing if they quit their job mm. and still have food to eat to quit their job, then I think more people are going to feel safer to quit their jobs. Yeah. But until you do that, then, like, asking people to quit their jobs is kind of, like... In your face. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like... We could talk about collectivizing resources. If you're trying to counteract the influence work has in compelling you to do things and mm. be disempowered at work, you collectivize and like communize, you know, sharing your life with others and like not because you have to, but because you want to by finding people based on affinity mm. that have shared experience or have shared desire on what you want to do together, then it becomes less intimidating to reject this work structure. But I feel like capitalism, like, alienates people. People are really isolated. Like, they don't have support or community, you know. If you quit your job, you don't have a place to crash at, you know. You don't have anyone who's going like, to yeah. offer you food to eat. So, like, what about those people? Like, what are they going to do? They're like, already alienated. They're already and, alienated yeah. from and, and if you do quit your job, hopefully it's, if you have that privilege, right, hopefully you're having some kind of meaning beyond the boss getting a replacement and it going on as business as usual. I don't know that much about the IWW, the Industrial Workers of the World, but I know, like, some of their structure involves getting kind of, quote-unquote, <clears throat> meaningless jobs in order to agitate, in order to make their ultimate firing having been worth it. So, I, I mean, I can't comment too much about that group and their strategy, but I, th I do think there's something to be said for if you have the privilege to work part-time, to work sporadically, and agitate those spaces against those microaggressions, that's, that, uh, that's something that, you know, I'm considering as a strategy. But I agree, you can't ask people to, to quit en masse when they don't have anything else besides coercive work structures to survive, right? But what if everybody did? What if, <laughs> what if everybody did quit their job? And there and might like, be a time refused. when we need to. Yeah. There might be a time where, like, I mean, Oakland had a refuses. general strike mm -hmm. just a, a few years ago over Scott Olson. And, like, that, that was a successful walkout, a one-day symbolic thing, but that flexed Oakland's power. What about LA's general strike? I think that it was... Interesting to call it a general strike. Why didn't we see masses walk out of yeah, there? For May Day, you mean? For May Day, yeah. I, I think that we called it a general strike, but we didn't do the outreach to actually make it a general strike. Because when we actually talked to the business owners, the small business owners who actually you know, have an interest in sticking into these corporations that are coming in and gentrifying those areas, a lot of people were actually receptive to shutting down their workplace and walking out if their neighbors were going to do it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were, but when we talk about quitting our jobs and leaving our work, it, it brings up Occupy for me. You know, Occupy was a time where, like, I was like, okay, there are other people. Like, there's an energy, there is a momentum. I feel, even though I didn't know people individually, I feel support to not continue getting a job and to actually focus primarily on building this resistance and i feel like people will general strike there just has to actually be outreach and what we did in la for occupy is we focused on actually four different wins and we focused on like the travel and like the action in the day itself the, the symbolic yeah. and the imagery the, the, of it the imagery of it and and the mobilization of people who were already organizing in their communities and we did not focus on small businesses which is probably yeah it's less of a critique of people being ready to walk out and more of a critique on the left in general and their tactics they're choosing to do right like i participated in organizing for may day for a one-day event that i don't think i would do that again right i want to put my work yeah. towards something more effective than an ultimate one-day sim sim symbol that does not scare the 
the power. And what communities also, like, when we talk about small businesses, like, what small businesses, like, were we outreaching to? Because, like, I know I was outreaching to small businesses in downtown LA, and to me, they, like, looking back on it, that's really, like, a waste because, like, that is not the community that I'm going to imagine that's going to want to really be sympathetic with wanting to strike. I think it I think it depends on where we are in 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 downtown LA because I'm talking about specifically Pershing Square area. Yeah, when we talk about like Santee Alley cuz that's mm. what I felt like we really overlooked. We really overlooked the communities that were in downtown LA that like the vendors, like the um, you know, the shops that like have all their fabric outside that do get police harassment and are actually you know set to be gentrified as downtown expands because it's happening in echo park downtown's expanding and so instead we went to like the more bougie shops that are already gentrified i don't know it, it depends which and also small business is still capitalism so yep. how far is our critique extending yep. fuck work <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people get angsty when you say fuck work <laughs> Yeah, like, what about the worker? It's just, like, what about that? Like, people are people before they are workers. Like, Or work we're all workers, like whether we're employed or not. Their, yep. Yeah, but it shouldn't create their entire being. Not everybody has, yeah, the opportunity to have work either, so. And what that does to, like, the psyche of someone who, like, is unemployed, you know, and how they feel like they're not really valued in society. If you're unemployed because, you know, you're not working, you're not being a productive member in society, so you're you're demonized. You know, and pathologies are, like, created. Yeah, I think I mean, I mean, think we're going to get more into that aspect when we talk about health and education, hopefully, in the coming show. But I do remember, just to connect the, the two dots, we handed out a MIGS, a Mayday flyer that had a doctor looking concerned. And the question was, you know, sad, depressed, anxious, your problem might be capitalism, right? That might be the, the root cause of what's going on here. But, yeah, that's another conversation for another time. But what we do definitely affects our happiness, <laughs> so. And also just to say, like, we only get one life, you know, or maybe you don't. I don't know. But I believe, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, love. <laughs> I, as Bobby London, will get this experience. What a waste of time to spend 40 hours, 50 hours, if you count lunch, sitting around in an office making someone else rich. Like, it's such a waste. It's such a waste. We deserve better as human beings, like, you know, and species. Like, we, we deserve to be able to live our life to the fullest and not have to spend most of it working for some white guy who's, you know, enjoying life he's living life you know he's in he's on his yacht in like spain living <laughs> yeah and the rest <laughs> of the planet deserves life as yes. well not at the expense of human supremacy not yes. at the expense of commodifying everything in sight and eradicating everything that isn't useful or meaningful or like commodified by humans it's like that's what's happening and can we yeah I guess can we stop now we're gonna go yeah. out we're going out on an angry note this time <laughs> angry note because Maybe like our we next should. Yeah. is on environmentalism <laughs> and and healthcare and like ma'am yeah thank you thanks for listening everybody we uh we definitely continue to break down these ideas as as we talked them out with y'all so i appreciate everyone listening please let us know what you think we would love to hear your critiques please yeah, um, <laughs> it's been pretty great hearing every now and then from people who we didn't expect to be watching or listening to the show. Um, but, you know, some constructive criticism would be really amazing. And uh, thank you for listening to the show today. If you'd like to stay in contact with us, you can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram on Resistance LA. We also have Facebook.com slash on resistance and SoundCloud.com slash on dash resistance. 
as well as onresistanceradio.tumblr.com and onresistanceradio.podomatic.com. Lots of different spaces <laughs> on the internet that you could hit us up with feedback on our upcoming shows, and please feel free to share the show and hit us up with dialogue. And this is a poem that I did while I was I was incarcerated recently for trying to liberate some medicine because I felt that medicine should be something I can have, and I, I liberated it because I didn't have the means to to buy something. And this is a poem that I wrote in jail and sang to some people that were also incarcerated. <clears throat> Imperialismo. Aha. In machismo. Daddy said that you're not a girl. Work hard like a him. That's all that matters. Black, brown, yellow, red. It's not our system. We can do better. Just another slave. Labor the pain away. This time I'm gonna take them down cause they're criminalizing black and brown. Poverty hurts. They shine their light on whatever's worse. Incarceration is a disease of a nation. Poverty hurts. They shine their light on whatever's worse. Trying to fix something that they can't fix because it ain't me. It's this complex prison industry. Uh-huh. Stay distracted and spend your wage. TV says be good consumers, but don't steal and don't run away, cause cops will say, shoulda shut em sooner, just another slave, waging the pain away, this time we're gonna take them down, cause they're criminalizing us out of town, poverty hurts, they shine the light on whatever's worse, gentrification is a disease of a nation. Whoa, poverty hurts. They shine their light on whatever's worse. Assimilating into what we can't reach because it ain't we. It's this damn new form of slavery. Capitalismo. All these people on the planet working nine to five just to stay alive. The 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 nine to five just to stay alive. All the people on the planet working nine to five just alive. You've been listening to a special installment of On Resistance Radio. You can catch On Resistance Radio next week, Sunday at 1.30 p.m. An economic update with Professor Richard Wolf will be back on KPFK next Sunday at 9 a.m.